Thank you for downloading this podcast from Semantica Research. I'm Lawrence Ampofo, and this is episode number 10. Hello and welcome to the SR Big Thinkers podcast, where we get the insights and the wisdom from experts around the world on the impact of digital technologies on global business and geopolitics. My guest this week is Dr. Philip Roeder. His work on smart cities at the London School of Economics is some of the most forward thinking in the world. And along with his colleagues at LSC Cities, Dr. Roeder is helping cities and societies more generally, think more creatively about what the smart in smart city means and how we can make these smart cities benefit humanity. I hope you enjoy the show. So, Dr. Philip Rowe, thank you so much for joining us here on the Big Thinkers podcast. Um, I really can't wait to get underway and talking about your perspective on smart cities. But yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, and I look forward to uh, having this conversation with you as well. Brilliant. So, um, so yeah. So, just for people that don't know very much um, about about the nature of your work, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you come to focus your work on smart cities and and sustainability? Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, the first thing to say uh, is that I'm based at the London School of Economics, uh, where I'm. Uh, running with colleagues a, a research center on uh, cities, on global urbanization called LSE Cities. And it's in the context of this uh, urban uh, work that we certainly have over the last 10 years increasingly encountered a strong uh, trend towards a greater recognition of technology and its impact on cities. And uh, when I talk about technology, I mean primarily digital technology. But uh, independently from that, I have uh, worked uh, and have always had a great interest uh, in uh, environmental and transport-related uh, issues, where, of course, uh, technology has been um, uh, a big component of uh, sort of this broader soul-searching exercise of finding solutions for a greater uh, or more sustainable uh, global future. Uh, so the two together really uh, allowed me um, over the last uh, years to really hear more. And it's more a listening exercise than actually a research exercise, but have uh, considerable exposure to those uh, debates and concerns about technology. Mm. You, you just were talking about the ways that actually technology and cities dovetail and they overlap. But I was wondering if you can just share with us what exactly is a smart city? Because it seems to me that the definitions have changed over time. Yeah, it's a very blurred, uh, and I, I think it's still today a very blurred terminology. In fact, um, in the late 1990s, um, where sort of the term probably first emerged, um, sort of the combination of smart and cities, uh, it was primarily used as yet another terminology for the sustainable, more equitable, more environmentally friendly city. And there are entire organizations that were set up at the time that even used that uh, branding and used uh, at the time the branding 
um, quite directly as, as I said, a, a literal translation of sustainability, to just use another term. And I think there was this key moment where a combination of marketing uh, efforts from a range of private corporations together with a fatigue of uh, repeating the sustainable city um, that you saw the emergence of a slightly more precise use of uh, smart city in the context of uh, digitally smart applying um, technologies that are have predictive capacities that have uh, inbuilt uh, algorithms uh, and that allow to link up uh, the physical infrastructures of the city with uh, sort of a, a smart digital infrastructure. Uh, but it's important to stress that um, a lot of these technologies and also the technologies that uh, these companies talked about at the time and still today have actually been around for uh, quite a long time, 10, 15, 20, in some cases, even 30 years. Uh, and they have I guess primarily because of a, a real marketing opportunity being bundled initially together under this big new banner, banner um, the smart city. What happened then, and now we're talking about the last uh, four or five years, that uh, government has really uh, come on board and bought into this notion of the smart city. Uh, governments, um, primarily city governments, seeing it as uh, sort of a big uh, aspiration of urban development, just like the global city uh, or the uh, sort of city of quality of life, um, the amenity cities. We just have uh, seen sort of the, the addition of the aspiration of being smart, as in being smart about how you deal with digital technologies. Um, and then national governments that have also rolled out programs uh, for sort of broader global urbanization agendas, um, of course, often regionally focused in a certain country, uh, but very much uh, using the banner. And we're seeing that even at the level of the European Union, where there are big programs, both in practice and research, that are trying to uh, address uh, the smartness. The last thing to say, uh, and obviously, as soon as a big term emerges, there's also often a backlash emerging. Uh, and there has been considerable uh, criticism uh, raised with the type of framing of smartness. I mean, generally speaking, no one is against a smart city. It's a good idea to have anything being smart. But I think the critique that has emerged is, is that it's a particular interpretation, a very sort of maybe top-down, uh, corporate-driven uh, interpretation of how technology should be applied in cities, and uh, there have been, uh, I think, very uh, intelligent ways of, uh, I guess, also uh, critiquing um, some of its um, uses and misuses of, of related terminology. That top-down um, perspective of um, smartness, if you like, being applied to the city, that was something that was put forward by your colleague, Adam Greenfield, I believe he pointed out some of the potential flaws with um, smart cities being based with the primacy of algorithms and data because he believed that that was far removed from the humanity of traditional cities. Um, is that something you would agree with? Um, absolutely. I do think that uh, we, we have to be aware that there are uh, risks of buying blindly into a concept uh, where, which neglects, I guess, uh, a whole 
area of smartness of developing cities in an intelligent way, which doesn't have to do with uh, very costly technology on the one hand. That's part of the argument. Uh, but but I also think that uh, if we now sort of drilling deep into individual technologies, uh, that there are risks to, you know, even democratic practices, uh, to surveillance, um, uh, to a whole range of, uh, I guess, civil society threats uh, where uh, these technologies, if they are not used in, in a good way, can be counterproductive. With um with the um kind of potential potential risks of um that we've just been speaking about now, have you seen any um wider opportunities that have emerged? Like you were talking about top down, but I'm wondering if there are any kind of bottom up opportunities that have arisen from the tech driven cities that we're talking about. Yes, no, of course, and uh, uh, you know maybe it's uh, it's good to just step back for a moment and reflect a bit how. The emergence of the smart city, maybe as a business opportunity, is actually seen by the various corporate players because uh, there is, uh, to a degree, also uh, quite a bit of frustration out there in, this, in the industry that things have not happened in the way they wished for, or uh, at least some of the business models uh, were trying to to push for uh, the application of the smart city and sort of the the big broad picture top down buying into the model um now that's not to say that we haven't seen a massive technological change i mean clearly over the last uh, years uh, a lot has changed in our cities uh, and not only those cities that are very actively bought into that uh, agenda but you're seeing it um, simply because of the enormous distribution uh, and higher rate of application of uh, smart mobile phone applications across the world, uh, you are seeing uh, changing patterns. And, you know, one small example is, of course, transportation, where um, in many ways, um, in some cases, uh, big global players like Uber, in other cases, uh, local uh, companies have uh, created uh, sort of very specific applications and, and new business models uh, that in some ways have surprised the um, sort of bigger world of smart city advocacy because it is not the type of um, sort of big smart infrastructure uh, driven ideas that they have imagined. Uh, so that's that's what happened on the on the business development side. At the same time, you find a whole range of applications which are driven by civil society activism, where we're seeing um, a much uh, a sort of very interesting uh, use of uh, um, of new communication technologies to bring local communities together, or in fact to to link different local uh, communities across space, so they can uh, in different contexts collaborate and learn from each other. Um, maybe that's another element which wasn't you know predicted as such. So we're seeing clear opportunities for also democratic, more participatory engagement. Uh, and uh, there are uh, cities and, and also certain neighborhoods within cities that are developing that uh, more than others. And I think it was very hard initially to to um, predict that kind of uh, innovation and that kind of um, um, sort of new approach. And still today, it's very hard to understand where this will ultimately, what, what this ultimately 
means in the medium and long term is this sort of a sh small phase of uh, experimentation and uber excitement around um, you know using these new uh, collaborative tools uh, co-design tools or uh, will it all eventually consolidate back to something to a decision-making process we you know know already uh, which is more a form of sort of representative decision-making uh, which is supported by more information for individuals, but you know where where big decisions are still bundled at a certain scale and then taken by policymakers, not unlike the ones we know today. It's, I think it's absolutely amazing that you're just saying that um, you know that by in, I don't know connecting cities, if you like, and making smart cities, that it increases democratic participation. It's absolutely fascinating, but you say that it's not evenly distributed, and I was just wondering if you can explain a little bit more why that is. No, I, I think the most important dimension here is that it, it's it's a generational thing. Um, that we we still, I guess, the the, the those uh, groups in most certainly Western societies that are um, um, yeah, that are in power as we speak. Are, have been brought up in an analog world and they continue to uh, work in analog ways and engage in an analog way and make decisions in an analog way. Uh, and it's probably only uh, those generations, possibly even below 30, that have truly been brought up with a very different mindset, uh, a generation that no longer possibly differentiates that much between a face-to-face -face meeting and uh, sort of an online chat um, and, and these are sort of, uh, this is maybe sort of at the extreme end how you could describe the difference uh, between the generations, but that translates into a whole, uh, a whole range of other or different behaviors uh, when you engage uh, w with the various opportunities of uh, the smart city. And now I mean sort of the really very inclusive smart city that cuts across all layers of uh, uh, and arenas where, where this digital technology can play a role. Do you think that smart cities will help um, developing countries or developing cities to leapfrog their more developed counterparts? I, I guess a personal perspective on this is that yes, in the end, I believe there, there are leapfrogging opportunities. Um, and, and I also very much hope that that, that is going to be the case, uh, that we will be able to be much more efficient with resource use uh, in, in uh, cities as uh, we have been sort of in sort of the second half of the 20th century in OECD country cities. And I guess to a degree, I, I would have to have that hope to see a sustainable global uh, future. Um, so clearly the that opportunity is out there. I, I think, however, often uh, this is precisely the uh, area where often uh, a degree of um, misallocation of resources takes place. Uh, it's very difficult to understand if uh, you're now thinking of a sort of developing world context like India. If you think of the big smart city strategy that is currently being rolled out by the Modi government, um, that uh, 
the question of what kind of smartness do these cities at this very moment of development actually need? And we're also talking about very different types of cities, the big ones like Delhi and Mumbai on the one hand, but then the uh, sort of second tier cities like Surat and Ahmedabad, uh, all the way down to uh, towns and places most of us will not even uh, know the names of at this point, but soon these will grow into uh, recognizable urban centers. And as part of that journey, um, what kind of infrastructure, what kind of technology do you really want to concentrate on? And I think it's exactly here where we do certain risks of maybe uh, doing a bit of an overkill with applying technologies where we don't even know what's its shelf life, uh, even places like uh, New York and London. Uh, is this just a few years or is this indeed uh, for the next few decades to come? Uh, and also, we, we know perfectly well that there are a few basics which a lot of these cities need before even we can, you know, smarten them up. And I'm talking about uh, having proper uh, uh, waste and water, freshwater infrastructure um, before even, you know, making uh, water infrastructure smart, which, of course, is important at some point. And there are maybe even opportunities to bring in a degree of smartness at the very beginning, the first time you roll out uh, freshwater infrastructures. There is indeed a risk that you probably aim for too much and then you can do it in one exemplary village or in one exemplary sort of smart city district uh, at a cost where instead you could have actually connected uh, an entire mega cities to uh, a freshwater uh, grid. And the same uh, we have with electricity, uh, the question of how we store energy versus, uh, uh, you know, how much uh, we invest into renewables, uh, although often these come together. And these are not easy questions because we are getting very mixed messages. Uh, often, I think, industry will come in and give good advice on what they are capable in doing. But any policymaker will always be suspicious on there being a sort of business model behind uh, the, the ambition of, you know, advocating for a certain solution. And I think this is maybe where um, uh, more neutral organizations, international organizations, including also research, which is led by universities, can potentially help to always um, do a bit of due diligence on the necessity this particular technology at this particular moment of development and then reassess uh, what you're actually betting on. What we're currently seeing, I, I give you one example, is a bit of a conflict between the, uh, on the one hand, going very much uh, down, let's call it the, the mobile device route, where we assume that our mobile phones in the future connected to a grid, yes, but more or less by themselves, will be able to do a lot of things which um, in some cities is still currently being rolled out as uh, as part of a fixed infrastructure. Um, so you may have come across the idea of uh, sort of smart parking applications where one sort of technological uh, offer is to install literally wherever there's a parking spot, you have cameras that detect whether parking space is free or not. Uh, in fact, you know, that technology is almost redundant if you think of the capabilities modern smartphones have in terms of understanding when you move, when not, when you possibly park a vehicle and not. Uh, and not to even talk about the fact that the whole idea of parking a privately owned vehicle 
um, in these kind of cities I've been talking about uh, is a not very good idea to start with and that maybe we'll soon see a completely different way of uh, running mobility uh, in these places anyway, where it will be much more shared and public and taxi-oriented. It's interesting how, how you're saying that, because for me, historically, it's been government and institutions that have been that have provided the challenges to say new technological or social ro- um, rollouts but from what you're saying it's almost like a lack of general understanding and um critique that's you know it's more of a human problem that's um that's maybe one of the bigger challenges to um smart city um deployment yes but i would say that to, to a degree has always been the case. Um, I guess the, the, what's the new tension we are facing here? Um, and there is a new tension. And I mean, from my perspective, it's related to um, to a sort of the global environmental condition. Uh, and what I mean here is that we are uh, at the moment um, confronted with a degree of urgency. I, we don't have um, I think the luxury of just um, sitting here, even as governments, sitting here and just wait until these technologies mature, uh, take it easy and, you know, see what happens, uh, whether it's the self-driving car or the battery technology or um, all sorts of sensor-equipped infrastructures. Uh, we don't have the luxury because we know that maybe some of that technology will be a central uh, foundation for a low carbon future for more productive cities for more even inclusive uh, urban environments which we urgently need right now and right here so now rolling this out under the sense of urgency uh, changes a few issues uh, we probably need to take greater technological risks and be open to experimentation and understand that part of experimentation is actually that you allow yourself to fail and and that failure in itself will then maybe allow you to to improve those technologies uh, further down the line much faster than it would naturally happen so i see this actually as the primary difference um at the moment and i guess you know if we now talk to colleagues uh, in 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 the business departments they they wouldn't talk about climate change or the global environmental crisis what they are talking about is a global economy where they feel we are under an enormous pressure to be ahead of whether it's another city or ahead of another country uh, or another global region to keep up with this uh, very quick global uh, change so it's usually framed a bit more through this neoliberal uh, competitive perspective rather than the urgency because of the global environmental crisis. But I think the latter ultimately is is more of, of an existential urgency than uh, let's call it sort of the keeping up with uh, City ABC. Yeah. C- can you see then um, that, because you were mentioned as well previously, that cities should really be developed according to their needs rather than the technology that's available. So can you see that political, financial or cultural supremacy shifting poles from, say, New York or London, Berlin or whatever, to other cities once they become smart? So, okay, that, that 
has to uh, exist somehow and somewhere. Uh, but I guess we always have to ask ourselves, what's more surprising? Is it more surprising how sort of resilient the big old Western centers are with regards to actually keeping up and being part of uh, the big mix? Or is it uh, more surprising and counterintuitive um, how quickly uh, the new cities, the new world, uh, the developing world uh, is taking over? And I guess... <laughs> The answer to this question depends a bit, you know, well, what, what's your general sentiment around this issue and whether you feel threatened by a, a world that's becoming more globalized uh, and, and is rapidly changing. A personal view, at least when it sort of comes to myself, I'm, I'm surprised. Let's take the example of London. Uh, you know, in many ways, you know, it has been around for such a long time that to me, at least, it's a surprise that it's still right up there uh, with a lot of the stuff uh, that it's uh, that that, you know, the new world hasn't left London behind. Uh, no, that hasn't happened. Now, urban studies will give you many explanations why that is the case. I mean, once you have established uh, a, a large global city uh, like London, with its uh, big institutional advantages, with its uh, educational uh, educational capacity, with its global linkages, with all the the, the lock-in of having developed slightly earlier than maybe other places, uh, that again is sort of seems to be paying back uh, at this very moment where we are sort of entering this uh, digital era. Uh, but having said this, there, there are of course cities that have been established uh, uh, in, in not so distant uh, uh, in the not so distant past that have been very successful have been focusing on certain technologies that are really losing out in this race towards uh, um, sort of a new uh, digital world um, so that does exist but I guess my personal view is it's quite um, surprising how many familiar uh, city names uh, reappear if you look into, um, let's say, sort of the, the typical smart city rankings and, and, and the places where sort of Silicon Valley-like activity is taking place. Uh, even good old Berlin is, is, is featuring very high up there. Uh, and yes, at the same time, you do have sort of the, the newcomers like, like Shenzhen, like Singapore um, uh, and, and a few others. Gosh. So then do you believe then um, that these smart cities and these mega cities will be able to um, support the rapid global urbanization that, um, that we've been told so much about? So to a degree, th that sort of rapid or, or the system of cities and, uh, and on the one hand, and then uh, the rapid global urbanization is, of course, a self-regulating system. Uh, and the enormous uh, increase, let's assume sort of outside a moment of complete global crisis, but the collective uh, shift of populations from rural to urban areas only continues if there is a certain capacity of cities to further accommodate that growth and be successful by growing. Um, and, uh, and therefore the opposite, if you know, our cities are collapsing at that moment, uh, sort of the, this vast migration from rural to urban will also 
slow down. So there's a degree of, of, of self-regulation in there, which in itself also ensures that I think there's a degree of an equilibrium around sort of this global urbanization. But, you know, th it's a very classic question you're raising. And I suppose um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much bigger issue, uh, which I would frame around, are, are cities going to help us with not only sort of a global urban future, but uh, more broadly speaking, with a sustainable global future. And I guess to a degree, uh, sort of solidly energy efficient, uh, maybe smart, uh, certainly equitable, uh, sustainable cities are possibly our best bet to combine uh, a degree of, um, you know, uh, or a fairer share of resource use, and by resources I mean all sorts of resources, uh, on the one hand, uh, and and ensuring that collectively by uh, by by increasing uh, still increasing quality of life and a certain notion of prosperity, which of course uh, will always remain an important driver for development. Um, to combine those two in such a way that uh, it's not creating a real disaster. I, I do believe that um, cities, not only the mega cities, I think a certain um, cities of a certain size are at this point particularly important because they are being looked at, they are being analyzed, they are being used as exemplars for what we can do in other places, even smaller cities. That's why they are particularly important. Uh, I think they are, yeah, as I said, probably our best bet to um, get out of the conundrum. Well, that that sounds like um, a really great place to to leave everything now, um, Doctor Rode. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, that's very uh, easy. Go to our website. Uh, I mean, Google LSE Cities, or go to uh, LSE Cities one word. Uh, dot uh, net dot net and you'll find uh, all we publish we work on uh, reference and even detailed documentations of our conferences uh, and other outreach programs fantastic well I was that, that was absolutely fascinating for me and um, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us Dr. Philip Rode my pleasure and I look forward to uh, hearing more about this conversation you are leading on this particular and very important subject. Those were excellent perspectives. Talking about how we can intelligently implement smart cities in a way that meets the needs of specific populations is one of the utmost importance. Tune in for our show next week when we speak to more technology, business and geopolitical leaders influencing our society. Until then, take care.